Welcome back to It's Technically Romance, where we take a look at Hallmark films from the technical, cynical, cinephile point of view. And the hopeless, romantic point of view. Today, I am, I, f I feel like I'm a kid at Christmas. We have a very special interview for you today. It's, it's a technical interview, which is why I'm so excited. We get to talk to a, a director of photography. It doesn't get more technical than this. Yeah, it's, it's so technical. I'm going to love it. <laughs> yes, we have the director of photography, Sean Seifert. He's worked on films Taking a Shot at Love and the most recent Raise a Glass to Love, which we thoroughly enjoyed. Especially for the shots that he did. Like I, I was gushing over some of those scenes. So it's, it's a real treat for me. Um, I'm a little giddy. So why don't we go ahead and jump into the interview? Uh, hi, my name is Sean Seifert. I'm a director of photography that uh, works on a fair amount of Hallmark movies throughout the years. Hello. Uh, hey, how are you hi. doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, we were so excited. We, we try to showcase all the different aspects of these movies. So we're very excited. You're our first director of photography that we've had. Great. <laughs> So for those that don't know, what exactly is a director of photography? What is your job on set? Sure. My job is to basically work right beside the director um, and help execute his vision. And I do more of the technical aspects of that in terms of moving the cameras, camera placement, uh, and the lighting of the scene, um, where the director is usually more focused on performance. I kind of have to make sure everything works to capture that performance and in a way that looks good. Uh, when, when you say in a way that looks good, is that for the director's vision or is that some of your vision there? Both. Uh, I, I find it's my goal on almost any project to take the director's vision and then try and elevate it, try and add another 10% on top if I can. Uh, and every director's different. So some directors really lean on me to, to handle almost all the visual aspects uh, when it comes to the actual shooting. Other directors uh, know exactly what they want and how they want it, and I'm there just to execute it for them. And it's kind of my job to uh, swing wildly back and forth from project to project and adapt. Uh, which do you prefer? Do you, do you like having more of, the, more of the vision there, or do you like sort of execution from the director's point uh, of view? You know, uh, both. I don't mind kind of variety. I'm kind of someone who gets bored of the same thing over and over again. So if uh, there's an opportunity to have a director who really has a vision and I'm there to kind of just execute it for him, that's totally fine. I'm, I'll, uh, I'll enjoy that process and I'll still try and find a way to add my 10%. And then, yeah, with the directors that just want to work with the actors and make sure that part of it and trust me to do the visuals, uh, almost all of it, great. That's that's a fun new challenge, or at least allows me to really try something a, a little harder, a little more involved. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about your journey and how you got started into film and then leading into cinematography? Sure. Um, yeah, I kind of fell into film. Uh, I was doing other things in my life. I used to work in ecotourism up here in Vancouver. Um, and then uh, when I was in university, I was very bored and did not enjoy long lectures. <laughs> I'm not that sort of learner. Um, and I started just started going towards film. There were some film classes I used to take. And from there, I ended up working in film uh, during my summers, uh, working on really low budget films. You know, we're talking like $10,000 feature films or $50,000 feature films and working as a production assistant. So right at the bottom of the chain. And uh, while I was finishing university, I uh, started getting involved with some of the kids who were in film school at my university. And that's what got my feet wet and started falling in love with camera. 
nice. and the technology. I'm, I'm a pretty techy guy and kind of an artistic guy. So it kind of combines the best of both. I get to work with these really expensive, very technical pieces of gear, but in an artistic fashion. And then, yeah, I, I kind of took two different routes uh, at the same time. I, I went to went and did a four-month film school, a very compressed film school up here in Vancouver, just to get uh, get the foundations down. And came out of that film school and started calling myself a director of photography. It's not, it's not the way to do it, but I'm an impatient person. <laughs> uh, and I had the ability with very supportive parents to kind of not make a living for a couple of years and just build up a resume and build up a demo reel, nice. uh, doing free projects off Craigslist. So I was doing that. And then to make some money, I was also working in other departments in the film industry, working on some of the big films in Vancouver. So that allowed me to get that experience, uh, but not doing the job I wanted to be doing. And then, okay. yeah, uh, worked my way up through from the low budget TV movies, the Lifetimes, uh, up to the Hallmarks now. And then probably eventually, hopefully up to the next step, whatever that may be after this. That's, that's great. So like really Craigslist, you're just looking on Craigslist for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's Facebook nowadays. But yeah, back when I started, it was uh, there was a little section in Craigslist looking for crew. And uh, that's that's how I got started. I would just I would go interview for these projects that, you know, these people had no money. <laughs> they had no idea what they're doing, but they wanted to make something either TV or film or, you know, early YouTube. And mm -hmm. uh, that's that's how I got my start. That's great. That's awesome. So as you know, we absolutely loved the cinematography and raised the glass to love. Uh, you had you. mentioned that it was one of your most challenging Hallmark movies to make. So do you want to speak a little to that and what made it so challenging? Yeah. I mean, the movie itself, uh, not not too terribly challenging in terms of what it lays out. Um, there's no crazy um, ice rinks in the middle of the summer that we have to fake for winter, which is a very common thing here. But we were shooting up in Kelowna, British Columbia, which is about uh, four hours out of Vancouver, in the middle of, uh, if you guys remember, the heat dome that happened earlier this year up here. So um, it was unbearably hot. Kelowna is already known as a pretty hot area. It's, uh, it's quite dry, but it was 10, 15 degrees hotter than that. So we were in, at 40 plus Celsius. I don't know what that is off, in Fahrenheit off the top of my head, but uh, it's hot, uncomfortably <laughs> hot. <laughs> uh, and it made it really hard because as you know, in that movie, a lot of outdoor scenes that were, so you know we've got a hardworking crew outside for 12 hours under the sun. And we're just trying to keep everyone hydrated and, you know, set the locations department setting up cooling tents with AC machines where we're kind of spelling people off, let them go cool down for a bit. So yeah, that was, it was hard. And oh, we were also surrounded by forest fires just to make it a little more difficult. <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, you know, it's, it's hot and the air is not the nicest to breathe sometimes. So a little dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously production is, is got, our backs and is looking after us and they're they're keeping an eye on the forest fires and nothing was terribly close to us but uh unfortunately with the change in climate british columbia uh, lights up on fire a lot during the summer now yeah. a lot more than any of us would like and uh it's just it's a part of factor of living here now well you did a beautiful job mm -hmm. we would have had no idea that all of that was going on <laughs> That was our goal. You know, I watched the uh, film last night for the first time, the finished film. Uh, I don't often get to see them uh, right away. And uh, I thought at no point did a single actor look like they were hot, which I think was a success because they were very warm. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, Juan Pablo was had some perspiration that I talked about in one of the scenes, but it made sense. <laughs> he, he did. And I think for him, a lot of the time, that was a real um, personal decision too. He wanted, uh, he really came to that role really pushing to, to feel as legit, legitimate as possible. 
And so he, he wanted to feel dirty. He wanted to feel sweaty, like he's working hard. Um, you know, the, the scene where he cooks her dinner, he wanted a mess, which is not something you necessarily see in a Hallmark movie all the time. Mm-hmm. And he really pushed for that. And uh, I think it, it actually really worked great. Yeah, uh, it made him feel scene. legitimate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really added a lot of authenticity, especially to that scene. That's one of our, our favorite scenes in the movie. So I'm kind of curious in Razor Glass, in, in the background, some of the lights, they almost have like this foggy glow quality to it. It's not necessarily bokeh, but I'm thinking of when he walks into like the wine tasting for the first time, the light coming in is very sort of almost ethereal, very foggy. What What is going on there? Maybe that was the forest fires. <laughs> uh, it, it was at times the forest fires, yes. Uh, so a couple different things were going on there. Um, during prep, the director and I, uh, David Weaver, had dis- had discussed trying to create two different looks for the film. There's the San Francisco look mm-hmm. uh, when she's home at the beginning when she's doing the test and then um, when she's out at the vineyard. And we wanted to contrast these uh, looks. So I uh, looked into actually using two different types of lenses, two, two different sets. And we went with um, the Sigma... I believe they're called the classics. I could have that wrong. Uh, and they are a certain lens that they're actually uncoated. So lenses always have like a, uh, the elements of the glass in the lens are coated with different chemicals that cut down on reflection and refraction in the lens to clean up the image. And so we tried these uncoated lenses that are known to kind of haze up and flare. And so we use those for a few of our scenes. They ended up not working as well as I would have liked. We ended up ditching the idea, but a few of the scenes in the movie do have it. The, the cooking scene especially has it. You might notice that scene's quite a bit hazier. Uh, I'm also, I have a little bit of filtration in front of the lenses. I use okay. what's called a black satin filter, um, which makes kind of the lights glow a little bit, just a little bit. I don't like a lot, but just a tiny bit. And then I also put a little bit of atmosphere in, in the air. So a little bit of haze, Okay. Um, but less on this film because it was already there. <laughs> Well, it's fascinating because I've, I've heard some DPs take like pantyhose and they'll put it mm-hmm. over the lens too to get that same sort of effect. Very, very old school. Yeah. Uh, you don't see that much anymore. At least I haven't, but we talk about it. We all talk about <laughs> wanting to do it. And then I think everyone nowadays is so afraid to do it because that's it's such an old school technique. And we just run with uh, specific glass filters in front of the cameras that do that now in a much more controlled way. Well, it, it came off beautiful, like especially right. that scene. Um, just very lovely. Happy to hear. Also, you know, I really noticed in this film, especially, it seems like you keep a lot of shadows on the fill side, more so than in other Hallmark films, where you'll just see a nice soft light covering the entire face. Is that a decision that you make, or is that a decision that the director makes, or can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's that's typically my area of it. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the quote-unquote Hallmark look. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I have to, it has to look a certain way, and I get that, that's part of my job. But there's areas to push it a little bit. And that's one of the areas I like to push it. Um, I want this to look as close to a big budget movie as I possibly can. And that, that's hard to do, obviously, in the 15 days and with a limited budget. And, and we're running like mad the whole time. But one of those, things, one of those tricks is just a less fill on, on the camera side of face. I, I like to bring light from the far side of the face, if that makes sense to anyone, and, and just let it kind of come across the face to add some depth and dimension to, to, uh, to our actors. It, I, I love it. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. Please continue to do that because it, it does. It makes it look a little bit elevated. And I, I think that's absolutely wonderful. I was going to say, we do appreciate that we feel like your movies do have a little bit of, of a different feel to it. They're a little bit more artistic. We have these like cinematic shots. Um, so you do make a conscious effort to try to go a little bit outside of the Hallmark box. A hundred percent. I don't think I would be terribly happy doing any project if I wasn't pushing myself and my team to do something a little different, a little new every show. 
you know, every, every show we try and find a new piece of gear or a new piece of tech that we can run with and exploit it, right? What, what can this piece of gear add to this movie? How does it help tell the story? Um, so, you know, for instance, on Raise a Glass for Love, we run, we run with a camera crane every single day now. And it's always built and it's always off to the side. And my team's really good at dragging that crane in really quickly, putting a camera on it and building a shot. And I think it just adds these sweeping shots, helps tell the story, especially up in Kelowna, where we wanted the grandeur of uh, the vineyards falling off to the distance. The best mm-hmm. way to do that is to get a little up high and let, uh, let the camera kind of tell the story for us. Well, you know, you mentioned sort of that, that sweeping camera. A lot of times in these sort of, you know, two-person conversation scenes, we'll notice the camera. I, I call it uh, sort of the wandering camera, where a DP will just sort of make that camera move every single shot. Um, and it's extremely distracting to me as, as a viewer. And I've noticed in years, you won't do that. And I, I just want to give you, thank you so much for not doing that. Uh, because I, I feel a lot of times you don't really need to. So when you're looking at sort of, sort of that conversational two-person shot, when do you know to move? When do you know not to move? Oh, you know, it's, that's a real director, director photography kind of conversation that will mm-hmm. happen. A lot of the times that moving camera is done to kind of spruce up what might be a little bit of a boring scene if if it's you know a lot of dialogue and no one's moving um that will get implemented i i prefer to save it because anything i i feel anything i do with the camera is helping to tell the story and if i'm doing the wrong thing i'm distracting from the story right i'm not i'm not elevating it and if people are noticing camera moves that's a usually not always but usually a problem uh, the camera should should always just feel like it's where it's supposed to be. And if it's moving in the shot, then it's not where it's supposed to be. Now, that's not always true because sometimes I do want to do, as you said, kind of that roving camera shot if I want to make a character feel uncomfortable or if huh. I want to add uh, just a sense of unease or even a sense of wonder. It really, I could do the same move, but depending on what the actor's doing, it will elicit a different emotion in the audience. At least I feel it will. Uh, it'll elicit a different emotion in me. And I just hope that conveys over to the audience. Well, uh, yeah, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. I never thought about using it as, as a sense of wonder, though, but I could totally see that. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. You can, there's only so many things we can do with a camera, but depending on what you do and what you're filming, you can get basically any emotion in the world. Uh, and I, my job is just to kind of just hint at them subconsciously. I don't want the audience member to go, oh, it's, he's making me feel happy. It's like, oh, I just feel happy. I don't know why. Uh, then I've done my job well. <laughs> Can you, can you talk about your, your favorite lighting setup? Oh, okay. Interesting. I love the lighting setups that are really simple, that do a lot. I, I, you can, you can overlight any movie and you can especially overlight these movies. And if I can set up one or two lights and it, it does what I need it to do, that, that's my goal. Cause that way too, I'm not in the way of the actors. If I've got a billion lights up and all the stands and all the flags and all the bits to control that light, it starts to kind of, I think, get in the way of the actors and they don't feel like uh, you know they feel like they're kind of hedged in um, and I don't want to do that as much as possible so any any sort of lighting setup that is is using what's naturally there and just adding to it is kind of my ideal setup because I noticed in, in Raise a Glass it seemed like you guys were shooting a lot of golden hour to really highlight that you know I'm thinking specifically of the the wine tasting scene out in the vineyard absolutely gorgeous shot absolutely stunning thank uh, you you know, he has this, this beautiful like orange rim around him while he's filling the glasses, like just, just really stunning work. That, that was one of those scenes where the forest fire really helped us out. <laughs> uh, it was a trade-off because we lost, it was a little hard to see in that scene, but there's this big, beautiful vista down to Kelowna Lake. 
which you couldn't see anymore because it was all smoked in. But that smoke changed the light and made it quite a bit oranger and also softened it and, and knocked a lot, of the, a lot of the power out of it. So it was easier for me to control. And yeah, we, we did a lot on that film in terms of scheduling to try and hit those key scenes uh, when, I, when the sun was where I needed it to be. The, the worst thing for a director of photography is having to fight the sun because we don't, we don't win. <laughs> we, we lose. And then it becomes a compromise of this is the best I can do given the time I have before the sun moves again and then I have to do it again. So uh, I try and always work with our assistant directors to make sure, you know, whatever scene it's going to be is right at golden hour or an hour before or an hour after. Um, and that allowed, you know, him to have that natural backlight the whole way. And then I think when we turned around on the scene and shot her coverage, I'm pretty sure we faked it, the, the golden light on her now, because now it becomes his backlight. It becomes her key light. It's the light directly hitting her face. Um, but I'm pretty sure I blocked the sun there and then added my own light a little bit off to the side to key her so it wasn't directly in her face. So the, the light, the, the sort of rim backlight around him is natural? I believe that was the sun, if I remember correctly. Yeah, wow. that, was, that was just using what's there. I'm, I'm always a big fan of just what's here and then build you know it only take away what i have to i know i know a lot of cinematographers and, and everyone uh, everyone's got their own way to do the job but a lot of them will kind of black everything out as much as possible block or turn off any light that's in this area or block any window and then recreate what they want in complete control and that's a totally valid way of doing it but i find that's a lot of work and sometimes you miss what's naturally there and yeah. what what can be a nice surprise uh, for the scene so that, that's good to know that some some DPs will actually just sort of, like you said, just sort of black out the scene and just build from there. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got a different way of doing it. It's, um, you know, it, it, the, a good example is skating rinks, <laughs> again, because they're in all these Christmas movies. I, I always use the lights that are already, already at the skating rink, and then I'll just add as I need to. But I know some of them, some, some of our guys, some of the cinematographers, especially in Vancouver here, will turn off all the lights and then try and light a skating, skating rink themselves. I, I just don't feel like you've got the time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that that takes hours. I think it's better just to to use what's there and adjust. Yeah, I I'm thinking of uh, taking a shot at love. Mm -hmm. Is like you do really interior shots really well, which sometimes we don't always see. I mean, he's like huge on lighting. If you listen to our podcast, like it's all about the lighting. But I, I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the a specific scene I'm thinking of is like in the barn and taking a shot at love. I was curious about there, that scene was so well lit. I didn't know if that was just natural sunlight coming through those windows or did you have some, some extra lights in there? Oh, okay, let's see if I can remember because that was a year ago. <laughs> that was like eight films ago. Um, I believe when we were shooting those barn scenes, because I think, I think there was three barn scenes total and we shot them all back to back all and they're all throughout the movie. I believe as we went, we started in the late afternoon and we finished at night and i think they were all day scenes if i remember correctly mm -hmm. so i had to start replicating daylight uh in the barn i think i've got this right and uh so yeah uh, th that that is a stressful couple of hours for me i will admit because as the light light changes very quickly from late afternoon to dusk and it can be very easy to do one shot and then 15 minutes later do another shot and the lights completely change and you didn't notice because it's just subtly shifting on you but yeah, I think in that scene, yeah, that was mostly artificial. So that was wow. my electrics team putting up some very big lights to try and fake the sun. And then we used a, a light balloon, which is like a, a floating, a literal giant floating balloon with light in it. Uh, and we just, we uh, tied it to the roof of the barn. So we just have this nice fill in the space. 
and then beams of light coming in and I think a little bit of atmosphere again a little bit of a little bit of a artificial haze can, can you talk about the light balloon because we were checking out your Instagram and you have this picture of this thing it looks incredible <laughs> yeah so so light balloons they're they're typically not terribly um, inexpensive to rent because they come with a technician you need helium which is you know not necessarily an inexpensive element nowadays as much mm. as people just love balloons so I got inspired to just make one so uh, me, me and my gaffer and my key grip got together on a weekend and we bought a bunch of shower curtain and LED strip lighting and we we literally melted plastic together in this uh, out of shower curtain and put LED strips in it to make this light balloon where I think we're on version three now. It never really lasts very long because it's made out of shower curtain. And we have to remake it, but it's, it's come in real handy sometimes. And in other times it's been a complete pain in the butt, but um, when it works, it's great. And it's, it's a great little technique. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, and I, I did not, I did not come up with the idea myself. I found, I saw someone on YouTube had a, had a 15 minute like video on how to make one. And so I, I st stole that and ran with it. Good old YouTube. Good old YouTube. Yeah. Still learning things off YouTube 10 years later, you know? <laughs> For real. Yeah, we definitely, we saw that and I was like, yeah, we have to talk to him about these light balloons. Uh, Cause that was pretty fascinating. So taking a shot at love, I know you realizing like, it's not that far off from us that we have just seen it like last year. But um, <laughs> if you can remember, uh, there's a scene in there that stood out for us is where there's like a bunch of candles it's inside <laughs> yeah. the house. And there's just like a ton of candles. Um, like a true fire hazard. Amount of candles. <laughs> <laughs> Most of those candles were fake. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 We only used real candles in the foreground for safety. I do. Yeah. I do remember that scene. There's a lot, you know, the power outage scenes are always interesting because when the power goes out in real life, it's awfully dark. Yeah. And um, that doesn't really work for a film because we're making a visual film and not an audio book. And so, I, you know, I have to put light in there somehow. And I'm a big fan of motivated lighting. So lighting that's coming from a source that we understand. It's not just, hey, look, it's nighttime, but it, there's you can see everything. That's always stood out to me, even on, on the very biggest of films as kind of artificial. And so we, during prep, we talked about it. And I think already in the script, it was already written, you know, thousands of candles because um, it's romantic and it's a Hallmark movie. And, and that's what we want. Um, I'm the one that added the hurricane lanterns. Uh, I pitched that because I wanted something bright enough that it could actually light their faces. Yeah. Um, and so in that scene, uh, almost all of that scene is lit just naturally with the, the fire flames from the candles and the hurricane lanterns. I really? augmented a little bit here and there with lights. Yep. I, I want I wanted the challenge uh, to see if I could pull it off. There is, you know, there's some blue light coming in through the windows, which I added just to add that kind of sense of storm light coming in from outside. And we did add a little bit of uh, flicker flame effect from some of our lights just on faces just to help uh, them not appear too, too ghastly and too horror filmy because that, you know, a flame is a very hard light. So we want to soften it a little bit. But yeah, that was, uh, I remember I listened to your guys' podcast on that and you guys kind of uh, pointed that out. And I was like, oh, those are all fair comments. Uh, you know, it's a little ridiculous that she's got that many candles and, and like four hurricane lanterns ready to go. Um, but to be fair, scene, my, I mean, my mom always had hurricane lanterns for when the power went out. So that's where the idea came from. She always had like three or four of them. So I was like, oh, why not? That's normal for everyone, right? <laughs> Well, that's what I said. I was like, I mean, they had to light the scene. Yeah, so we need all of these candles. No, but it was, it was done so beautifully. Like I, I could have sworn that you had lights there, but the fact that it was mostly like that natural lighting is just incredible to me. As, as much as possible. And I will give credit to my colorist, Kip. He went in there and helped 
a lot too because it did end up it was pretty dark so it was a little bit noisy the footage a little bit grainy and he just went through and cleaned that up a little bit for me to to help that out so what would you say you know when you first read a script what did, what would you say is is the most challenging shot for you what is that that shot where you read in a script and you're like oh boy this is this is going to be tough skating rink scenes <laughs> <laughs> anything to do with the skating rink you know with these scripts there there isn't usually a lot written into the actual script about the shots that's typically not how they're written that that's usually left pretty much up to the director and myself mm-hmm. every so often there might be like a line saying oh we see this or you know as we push in on this character and that stuff's pretty rudimentary and we can do that pretty easily it's taking a shot in love was a good one for that though because you know we had nhl games that we had to replicate and that was that was hard that was a lot of work a lot of logistics involved in that but yeah, for the most part, it's it's almost always anytime I see skating rinks. And I was like, okay, that's that's going to be a thing. Well, how much, in, speaking of sort of like the, the scene, how much coverage do you generally do for these shots? Is it a, a ton oh. of coverage for the editor or? It's a ton. Yeah. 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 I think um, d- it depends on the director. Again, that's definitely a director call um, most of the time, how much coverage they want, how many different sizes. So some directors are kind of two sizes. They'll want like a medium shot so you know we'll do our wide shot of the scene Mm. um and then usually a medium shot which is kind of a waist up on each actor and then usually a medium close-up which is kind of in between a medium shot and what you'd think of as a close-up which is you know really tight on the face and then so that's kind of like the least amount we would do and then some directors will have four sizes so you've kind of got a medium you've got a tight medium a medium close-up and a close-up on every actor in every scene. I try and push back against that personally because I think it's too much. And I do know, I feel like, you know, we don't get final edit on these films. These films are, the final edit is done by Hallmark and they do it because, you know, they know their audience. Um, But we do have some way of kind of saying, hey, this is how we want the film to look by by giving them the shots that we think are really important Mm -hmm. and not giving them the shots that we don't love. We make sure, you know, we make sure we cover our bases so that no one's ever going to be upset that we didn't miss something. But, you know, I don't love shooting a close-up in a scene that doesn't call for a close-up. It's it's because I know that's going to end up in the movie and it's not going to feel right. It's going to like, you know, this is this is a quick, funny scene. This isn't a dramatic, you know, professing one's love scene. I don't need to be really tight on their face. I want to see them in the world. So you're almost editing as as you're doing it. Yeah, there, there's always there's always that discussion between the director and myself. Um, you know, the, the, and that's going to be true of any any project, right? right. Whether it's Hallmark or or a Marvel film, the shots you're you're doing a little bit of editing as you shoot because that's that's step one of editing is picking your shots, and then how they're assembled is where the editor really gets in there. But you know, you, I find every time we do a shot that the director and I are like, eh, okay, we shot it, but we won't use it. It ends up in the film somehow, and then we're always like, oh, why did we shoot it? Because it's. It's, it's not quite right. It's not perfect. It's not doing what we want it to do. So I, I try and limit that as much as possible. But on the other hand, sometimes it's like, hey, I just threw a random camera over here in this corner. I don't know if it's going to work, but uh, maybe we'll get something good out of it. And then we do. So it's, it's always a compromise. <laughs> Has there ever been like a scene that you've shot that you, well, maybe not a whole scene, but something that you're like super proud of or something different and then it didn't make the cut? Yes. Less so with Hallmark movies, but other projects I've had, I've had whole movies that I was really excited for. And then I saw the finished product and it's not what my, the director or I had ever discussed. Oh. And uh, yeah, those, those are tough. Those, those, those you feel because uh, you put a lot of energy and your heart and soul into something and then someone else gets to finish it. And then you look at it and go, oh, that's not what we shot. 
that's a very different film. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that, that you don't really have too much of a say on the final edit. I, I have no say. Once I'm once I'm done the edit, I, I'm out of the loop. Uh, or sorry, once once I'm done shooting, um, I'm out of the loop. The director has usually about a week to edit. And then it, it goes through, you know, another three or four people uh, in edits and changes um, before before the finished product. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of cooks in the kitchen on these films. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is true. Of, I mean, it's true of, uh, I think, every film. Uh, I, I remember... Uh, there's a story, someone asked Martin Scorsese what it's like to have final edit on a film. And he said, oh, I may have final edit, but I don't have final edit because if the network doesn't like what I made, they'll just dump the film in February when no one's going to watch it. So. so of all of your projects, do you have a favorite project that you've worked on thus far, Hallmark or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got films that are kind of special to me. Um, I, uh, in the Hallmark world, uh, I really enjoyed taking a shot on love. That one, that one had a lot of challenges and it, and it had hockey in it, which is a Canadian boy is always great. Can't complain about that. And, uh, and raising glass to love, um, as, as difficult as that was, uh, I'm really proud of how that one turned out. And then outside of Hallmark, you know, I've got a, a feature film I did almost 10 years ago called FSM short for female seeking male that we did for $10,000. And I really like that film still to this day. <laughs> I think it looks like a million bucks and it's cute and it's charming and it's just still got a little place in my heart. Well, is it, is it out there that people can watch? Oh yeah, God, I, it's out there somewhere. It's uh, probably on, I think it's on Amazon, but I'm not hundred percent sure to be honest with you. It's, it's very different than Hallmark though. So um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very much more of an independent uh much more much more graphic <laughs> very very different style of romance let's put it that way uh who sort of inspires you as a cinematographer oh i mean there there's there's the classics like roger deakins i love mm. i love deakins work he can do no wrong and and conrad hall and uh wally fister uh was a big uh, i really loved his work uh, he doesn't really, do, he isn't really a cinematographer anymore, as far as I know, I think he just directs. But, um, you know, those are kind of the people I look up to um, and want to emulate. And there's so many more, and I'm horrible with names. So whenever I get asked this question, I'm always like, oh, well, there's this film and this film and this film. And everyone's like, well, who, who did those? And I was like, oh, I don't remember. I just remember <laughs> I love the film. <laughs> I love the work in the film. Deacons is great. I mean, I've always wanted to mess around with that cove light. That just seems like such a great, great invention there. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we tried a little bit. We do, I do what's, we call it the Ruby herring light, which is kind of our fake version of it, mm -hmm. which we developed doing uh, Ruby herring mysteries two and three. Um, and it's, it, we use two big LED lights side by side to kind of fake a cove light. And it's just a lot less work to set it up. It's quicker. And it kind of gets a similar effect, you know, on our, on our meager time, time that we have to work. But as aside from cinema photographers, what else inspires you? Like you mentioned movies, like some of your favorite films or just anything that inspires your work. Yeah, I mean, I love, I love big budget Hollywood films. That's where I, that's where I want to work one day is um, I love a good popcorn film. Yeah. And um, behind me is there's two Indiana Jones posters and a Star Wars poster. Nice. Uh, and there's a, there's a Back to the Future in the hallway over there. Like the movies I grew up on, I love those and they're fun and uh, they inspire me. Just about anything done by Spielberg, I enjoy. I mean, I think he's a master, uh, especially he's a master of visual storytelling. I definitely um, lean towards any filmmaker that tells the story with the camera. I think that's that is that's the pinnacle of the art. And uh, and not that you can't do a good film and kind of do basic camera work because you can, and those are out there too. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you watch Spielberg, sometimes you don't realize what he's doing with the camera because he's doing it so well. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it just blends in. Yeah. I mean, his, his dinner scenes especially are just mm -hmm. incredible. Absolutely incredible. Some, some of the best scenes in the world in terms of a family having dinner. Just Yeah. And those are not easy to shoot. Dinner scenes are, uh, they're, they're, to answer a previous question of yours, dinner scenes. Dinner scenes with more <laughs> than three people uh, because they take forever to shoot because you've got every, every angle you need or every angle you will need takes forever to shoot. So, you know, we just, we just finished a film where we had dinner scenes with seven or eight people. That's, wow. that's a lot of, a lot of coverage that we have to get. It's a lot of angles. So in terms of, of, of lenses, you kind of mentioned a little bit, what is, I mean, you, you seem to go really shallow in your depth of field. Is that, is that a personal choice for you? Do you, do you love, I mean, Hallmark loves that bokeh in the background. Yep. Is that something? I, I'm actually less shallow than a lot of cinematographers really? on these okay. movies now. Um, so yes. So the shallow depth of field, there's a few reasons for it. Um, there's the artistic reason. It, it looks good. It, yeah. it's, it helps separate the actor from the sets. Uh, you know, everyone loves those big bokeh balls in the back uh, of all the twinkly lights that are on these sets, right? It's, it's hard not to just lean into that all the time. The other reason too is, you know, we don't always have enough time to put up all the big lights we need to get enough light onto a set to be able to not close down the aperture a little bit. So that's, that's another technical reason. And, and the third reason too is it can hide sins. So out of focus, you can hide a lot of problems that you may just not have been able to address in the time we had. Uh, and that's why that happens a lot on these shows. The other side of that is that a shallow depth of field is really, really hard on your focus pullers. So the guys in charge of keeping the image sharp, it's, it's already probably the most stressful job on set and one of the hardest jobs on set. And I don't want to make it harder for them if I don't have to. So I will, I will try and, and try and give them a little bit more room to breathe, to do their jobs especially on the, the sets that look great. I don't see why I should blur out a set that looks beautiful unless, unless I want to, unless it's, you know, the end of the movie and I want them to be alone in their world, just the two, you know, just our two loves. Then, then yes, then I'll go shallow depth of field. Well, I want to say, we, and we've talked about this, that some scenes, it almost looks like it's green screen, but I think it's because their depth of field is so shallow and that it's mm -hmm. giving it that effect. It just seems like they're completely separate from the background more so than anything. Yeah, I, I don't love that. Um, I unless, don't either. of course, I emotionally <laughs> want it to feel like that, you know, but yeah, it, it, there's a big difference on these lenses between, say, wide open at a 1.3 and then a 2. The depth of field changes, you know, quite a bit in that in that little range and can really make a world of difference in, in making a character feel like they belong in the world or, as you said, they're green screened into there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been called out by two directors now saying that something was green screened. They're like, no, 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 it was not. No, it was not. So... <laughs> I mean, it looks like it, like it blows my mind how like yeah. shallow it is that they just literally pop off of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with on some of these, so say like a, a 50 mil lens or an, or an 80, 85 mil lens, kind of a, a close upper lens. Um, if that's wide open, there's, there's one inch of focus. Wow. Um, so really all that's in focus is usually one eye and then everything else is kind of falling off out of focus. So that's, that's why I can feel like that for sure. And why it's so hard for the focus puller to actually keep that focus oh yeah yeah an actor may just do a little lean forward that you wouldn't even notice in real life and all of a sudden the whole image is out of focus and it's uh it's it's very stressful on them i, I feel for them it's a mm -hmm. job i was not good at and and skipped over <laughs> oh so this was just a kind of personal uh i saw that you worked on one of the twilight movies <laughs> Um, as a boat wrangler. So I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about that experience and what exactly is a boat wrangler? 
Sure. So as we talked about earlier, when I was getting my start in the, in the industry, I was working as a director of photography for free and then working in other positions. And one of the other positions I worked on was in the marine department. So uh, <laughs> the water department up here in Vancouver. And so there's, there's kind of a, one guy who runs it, Jason Crosby, uh, and his dad started it way back when, uh, back when the industry first started up here in the 70s. And basically he caters to any and all work, film work in, on, or under the water. And he's got a fleet of boats and um, all designed to work for films. So we can put cameras anywhere and we can, we can tow boats and we can do all this cor- cool sort of stuff. So I was, I was working with him for about a decade. In fact, I, I went and did a couple days uh, earlier this year in between films just to go say hi again and work on a fun project. And uh, so a boat wrangler is basically a, a boat driver. We use weird words in the industry for some for some things. So Wrangler is what's kind of become normal up here. But yeah, like I'll I'll be driving. I think on the Twilight films, the boat. What did I think I was there mostly as security of all things because they were so popular that um, they they had full time security on and around the set, and they wanted a security boat out uh, on the water when they were shooting uh, near the ocean. So I was out there with a security guy just in case the paparazzi showed up or or crazy fans it's you just you never know so uh that's why i was there but yeah i mean i've done that job for a bunch of other films too uh you know getting to do really cool stuff like working right on the set driving a boat that's in the movie or helping rig uh like a like an overturned sailboat or stuff like that (laughs) that's awesome that's really cool yeah i had no idea yeah it's a department no one thinks of like (laughs) even people in the industry are like wait what do you you mean there's a marine department i was like well how do you think you film everything on the water guys you need people (laughs) who know what they're doing on the water it's 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 a whole different beast out there (laughs) yeah because i was like i don't think i remember any boats in the movie but now that you're saying that it makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i I was only on that film for i think a couple of days um so that was that was definitely not a a water heavy show I, i do remember one scene of characters and I haven't seen the movies, so forgive me if this is completely wrong, but I do remember a scene of, uh, uh, of I think there were vampires, right? Walking out of, like coming out of the water on a lake or something like that. And I remember being there that day and I was there as water safety for them just in case something went wrong or they needed support. Uh, but it was that and the security. Those are the two days I remember on the Twilight series. <laughs> Well, that's very, very fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned an upcoming project. I don't know if you can talk about anything or is there anything that you would like to plug or anything coming up? Oh, well, I mean, there's a bunch more Hallmark movies coming up that I've done. Um, so we're, we've, we're just finishing up. We're going to our last week of a Christmas movie. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to say what it is or uh, what the name of it is, but um, it'll be out this Christmas. Great. Um, and we and we finished one three weeks ago prior to that, another Christmas movie. So there'll be two by me this year. That's and, awesome. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. So I'm just doing one with Kevin Fair right now, who I did Taking a Shot on Love uh, and like five other Hallmark movies with him. I, we seem to work together at least like three times a year now. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say any more than that. And I don't want to get in trouble. So. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's okay. Any non-Hallmark related or... Uh, I, I did a Lifetime movie earlier this year, uh, so a big budget Lifetime movie, which is about the same budget as a Hallmark movie. Um, but other than that, no, I've, I've been so busy doing Hallmarks this year and last year that this has kind of been the focus. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, I, I'm looking forward to sinking my teeth into an indie film sometime soon. Nice. I want to, I want to do something a little different just to change it up, keep the skills sharp. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, like you said, like Hallmark has a specific look that you had to hit, so. 
just to keep it fresh, like you were saying. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's in anything that's kind of artistic, it's important to have a little variety just so you know you can still do it. Yeah. Well, we definitely appreciate the the style and quality that you bring to the movies. Oh, well, thank you. I'm I'm glad it, I'm glad it's getting noticed. That's the that's the uh, that's the important part for me. I want to I want to know that what I'm doing is actually making a difference. It's, it's making a huge difference. Like we we can tell. So thank you very much for doing that. Please keep keep doing that. I will. I will. I promise. Uh, well, we can't thank you enough for for joining us and taking the time out of your day to talk to us. This has been My this has pleasure. been awesome. Like this has been yeah, a, this has been a, great. a dream dream for me to talk to to a DP. So My pleasure. All right. Thanks. Take thank care. So Bye guys.